Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God shall be with man. He will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for this is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give of the spring of the water of life without payment. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to dream big. And I want to wildly embrace those dreams. I want to dream big and wildly embrace those dreams. And yet most of us have stopped dreaming, haven't we? We stop dreaming because we're told to. Grow up, get your head out of the clouds. We stop dreaming because our dreams get crushed. We stop dreaming because we're preoccupied with other things than our dreams. We're preoccupied with money and security and comfort above all things. It's like the little class of first graders, little six-year-olds getting together with their teacher, talking about dreams. And the teacher says to the class, what are your dreams? And one little boy, one six-year-old puts his hand up, named Johnny, and he says, I want to be a billionaire. I want to have a big boat. I want to be the boss of everybody. And I want the best girl. The teacher doesn't quite know what to do with this. And like most teachers then says, I'll just go on to the next student and says, okay, Susie, what's your dream? And Susie says, well, I was going to say something else, but now my dream is to be Johnny's girl. <laughs> we stop dreaming because we get preoccupied with the wrong things. We stop dreaming because our imaginations have not been stoked and encouraged. And yet the Bible tells us that we are meant to be dreamers. We're meant to be people filled with dreams and visions. In fact, it's even a promise from God. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, when Peter gets up to describe and explain what is happening in that moment, he quotes Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel. And this is what Peter says of this spirit-filled community. He says, and the, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. It's a promise from the prophet Joel that is realized in the day of Pentecost. If you are in Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and are meant to be a fulfillment of that promise that we will have dreams and we will have visions from God. We will be a people known as Christians who have big dreams and wildly give ourselves to those dreams from God. It comes from our faith. As we live out our Christian faith, it will produce in us an imagination, an ability to dream, to receive those visions and dreams from God in such a way that is unheard of in our lives before. It's our faith that makes this happen. It was 50 years ago this last Wednesday, April the 4th, 1968, that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. He had a dream. And if you read his writings, if you listen to his sermons, he was unashamed to say where that dream came from. It came from his faith in Jesus Christ. He was a Christian who received the Spirit and received dreams and visions, and he put everything aside and wildly threw himself into that dream because that's what Christians are called to, to be those who dream and are willing to wildly throw ourselves into those dreams. And Easter, the season we're in right now, Easter helps us learn how to dream again. It's the promise of our resurrection. You see, when Jesus stood there that evening of the resurrection with his disciples, and he showed them his wounds, and he said, peace be with you. He wasn't just showing them that he had been raised from the dead. The disciples would realize in the days and weeks to follow that this resurrection of Jesus had won for them their own future resurrection. That for the Christian, death comes to us all, and yet death has no authority over our lives because of what Jesus has won. We have a resurrection like his resurrection. That's our future. And this resurrection, this Easter hope, teaches us how to dream. You see, as we look at Revelation chapter 21, we'll see in this image, this picture of our future, our eternal future, we'll see glimpses of what this will look like. It, it's not a road map, it doesn't tell us everything, but it gives us little signposts to say, what would it be like to actually, when we're there, what will it be like? He doesn't tell us everything, but Jesus gives us bits. And here's what we see in this text today where our resurrection hope teaches us how to dream. See, the first thing we see is that our resurrection, our future eternity is physical. We have a physical, material future. And we'll unpack that more in a moment. But not only is this future resurrection a physical reality, but it's a perfected reality. All the brokenness, all the sin is gone. It's a perfected physical future. But not only is it a perfected physical future, but it's full of purpose, it's purposeful. We've got things to do in this new heaven and new earth. We've got things to be about, purpose. And if we embrace this doctrine of the resurrection, this Easter, we will begin to dream. 
you and I will begin to dream. And you and I may even begin to wildly throw ourselves into those dreams because of the resurrection. So first look, the resurrection means that our eternal future is physical. We don't teach this enough in the church. Too many of us have a vision of a future with God that is some kind of ethereal, you know, going off and floating around with God. And yet verse 21, I mean chapter 21, verse 1 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And, and this language, heaven and earth, if you think in terms of Genesis chapter 1, the very first word in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The phrase heaven and earth is a biblical way of saying all of creation, everything that got made, all of it, not just the spiritual realm, but the earthy physical realm. We would expect, according to most of our banal teaching on the resurrection, our banal teaching on heaven, we think that in the end we'd hear, oh, God opens the door to heaven and earth is the late great planet earth. It's gone. But instead here, heaven and earth means the whole of creation. The whole of creation renewed, and we'll get to renewal in a moment. But it means it's physical. It's real. As we'll see next week, as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, it's more real than what we experience now. We don't know the depth of reality yet. We will know it then. But it's physical. And are we so surprised? Look at the end of Genesis chapter 1. After God makes the heavens and the earth, what does he say about it? He says over the heavens and the earth, behold, it is very good. It's, it's very good. It's beautiful. It's exactly as it should be. What God gave us as human beings was a perfect creation. We broke it. We'll get to that in a moment. But this new heaven and new earth is physical. It's real. Some have said that Christianity is the most materialistic of all faiths. In the sense that we don't, like many, many faiths and worldviews, go off to float around somewhere in the mind of God. But we go to a place where we live and have bodies. This is what the resurrection means. And it also it means it's coming right here. Genesis, uh, Revelation 21 tells us that it's coming to us right here. Verse two says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, coming down out of heaven. You see, we gotta be very careful with some of our imagery. I love the song, but we run into some theological problems when again and again we hear, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. What does that imply? That we're leaving all this behind and we're going where we're supposed to be, flying away somewhere. As a friend of mine likes to say, I ain't going to heaven. And people like to say, well, we didn't think so either. <laughs> but he says, no, 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 heaven is coming to me. What John sees is the new heaven and the new earth coming here, a renewal, this creation renewed, that heaven comes to us. It is a physical embodied future. And again, the church has not taught on this enough, how physical and real the future resurrection is for us. Just pause for a moment and think about what that means. Just pause and think, an eternal, physical, material 
future, eternity, physical. Think about it. If we had time, we'd go through all of Revelation 21. We don't. But let me just say, one of my favorite couple of verses later in the chapter, if you're looking with me, verse 24 and verse 26. In this new heaven and new earth, this physical future, we're told in verse 24 that by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They'll bring their glory. The kings of the nations will bring their glory. And you want to say, what glory do the king of the nations have? I mean, isn't it only God who has the glory? And then verse 26 says, um, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And again, you want to say, what glory of the nations? And it means this, all that is good in the nations of the world, all that is godly within the nations of the world, all that is holy within the nations of the world, all the different cultures, all the different ethnicities, all the different spices, all the different smells, all the different clothing, all the different art, all of that together, the godly things of those nations that that give glory to God, they will all be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. It will not be some bland, place that it all looks the same. No, you will have the glory of the nations, the cultures of the world that are godly brought in to the new heavens and the earth. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? It means there's sushi in heaven. It means there's ballroom dancing in heaven. It means there's butter chicken in heaven. It means there is sculpture in heaven. There are chili dogs in heaven. And there is curling in heaven. (laughs) This physical embodied future we have, this is the promise of resurrection. And it begins to make us dream. An eternity, material, physical But not only is it a physical future, but it's also this eternal future that's perfected. Verses four and five, we read that death shall be no more, neither crying nor mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. See, it's it's not just a continuance of this creation, it's a perfected creation a perfected physical universe, a perfected new heavens and new earth, a perfected you and me. And we all like the idea of us getting perfected because we're all so aware of our imperfections, aren't we? I was at a playground this week. There was a little boy came up to me. I had never met him in my life. You know, a little boy ran up and he said, gazing up at me, he said, you look like Iron Man. I said, what? And he said, the actor who plays Iron Man. And I said, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) And then he said, but your face is quite a bit rounder than his. (laughs) So he's essentially telling me that I'm the fat Iron Man. I mean, we're, we're all aware of our imperfections. And we long to be perfected. But it's not just that the perfection that is promised, behold, I'm making all things new, isn't just about our body ailments, our diseases, our our ailments, and 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 our imperfections. But it's also about our sin. See, sure, God is going to fix all of us in every way, but it's, it's the sin within us that most needs perfection. It's amazing In verse 6, he says, it is done. 
It is done. You know, these are the same words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross just before his death. In John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, hanging there, bearing the sins of the world, he says, it is finished. It is done. And then he dies. What's done, Jesus? This is done. All the sin of yours that has been laid on me, this is to an end. This is done. This is finished. And here in Revelation 21, in the new heavens and the earth, we hear the declaration, it is done. Sin is no more. That which is broken within us has been taken and cured. In The Silver Chair, one of my favorite books within the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a moment when old, old, old King Caspian comes to his death and we see the moment of his resurrection. Aslan, the the lion, the Jesus figure is there and out of the stream of this water comes not this old, old, decrepit Caspian, but a young, vigorous warrior Caspian. And he comes out of the water dancing and joyful. And then he says to Aslan, he says, is it okay that I desire to go and do this particular thing. And Aslan has these words that bring me to my knees every time I hear them. Aslan says in the new heavens and the new earth to Caspian, you cannot want wrong things anymore now that you have died. You cannot want wrong things anymore now that you have died. I mean, that is the picture of it being done. A a physical embodied future where my broken heart, my broken will, my broken ways are put together in such a way that I cannot even want those things which are wrong anymore. Because Jesus says, not only is it done, but he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, verse 6. The beginning and the end, those those words that have been put over tops of churches for 2,000 years and over altars, Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is saying, I am it all. I am over it all. But he's saying something even more profound. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, but he says, I'm the beginning and the end. And, And these two words, beginning and the end, have deep, deep meaning. You see, beginning is the word arche, we get the word archaeology, the beginning. And, and, and really here it kind of means the prototype. Like Jesus is saying, I am your prototype. Like you as humanity, I am the purest form. I'm the first off the line. You're a bunch of broken facsimiles, but I am the prototype. I'm the arche. But not only does he say I'm the prototype, the arche, the beginning, he says I am your end, your telos. And the word telos means our destiny. It means what we are to become. For example, the telos of an acorn is an oak tree. Telos of an acorn, oak tree. The telos of a human being is to be like Christ. Our destiny, where we are going, is to become like Jesus. As Psalm 139 says, unique, fearfully and wonderfully made, but made perfect, made like him. This is why it's done. Jesus is making you and I in this life and most decidedly in the life to come like him. Perfected, Christ-like. A physical, perfected future. Do you see how it begins to make you dream? But not only is it physical and perfected, the resurrection 
means that our eternal future has a purpose. We have a purpose. We are purpose-filled in that new creation. Because if we're honest, isn't it true that most of the pictures you've been, I, you and I have been given of heaven are pretty boring? I mean, come on, let's be honest. We're not supposed to admit that in church. But seriously, it most of the time looks like a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. We're sitting around on clouds, strumming harps, bored out of our minds. Woohoo! I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? I love in Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. At one point, Huckleberry Finn is uh, being, being taught by the pious Miss Watson. And she says, Huck says this, he says, Miss Watson went on and told me about the good place. She said that all a body would have to do was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of that place. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. <laughs> I mean, this, this picture we're often give of given of heaven is absolutely boring and does not contain any of the creativity and activity and joy and purpose that the Bible shows us. Because look here, Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 says, I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem come down from heaven. City. City. You know, in the ancient Near East and today, city is a place of activity. A city is a place of creativity, of exploration, of experiences. The city is a place where things happen, where there is stuff to do. It's interesting that we begin in a garden in chapter one of the Bible, but we end in a city. And don't get me wrong, there's gardens in the city. There's a tree and there's a river. But the point being that we've moved to a place where we can fully be engaged and active and creative in this new heavens and new earth. There is stuff to create. There is stuff to explore. There is experiences to be had in eternity. Anthony Hokma wrote in an article a number of years ago called Heaven not just an eternal day off, he wrote this, and maybe this is going to stretch the envelope for you, but maybe it should stretch our imaginations. He, he's a reader of the scriptures. He's trying to understand with the signs we're given, what might this look like? What might this look like to be active, to be busy, to be creative in the new heavens and the new earth? He writes this, he said, will there be better Beethovens in the new earth? Shall we see then better Rembrandts, better Raphaels? Shall we read better poetry, better drama, better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievements? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? Will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Will there be enticing new adventures in space travel? What does that do to our bucket lists? We've all got our bucket lists, right? I need to accomplish all these key moments in my life right now. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your bucket list is way too short. Because our life, our physical, material life will go on. That is what Easter declares. This is what we see in Scripture. And the amazing thing of it all is it's all a gift. You can't earn it in a minute. 
Verse six ends by saying to the thirsty, I will give this, of the spring of the water of life without payments. In other words, the life that's given, the water of life comes not because God went out and said, I'm gonna find the best and the brightest. I'm gonna find the really good people, the real creative people. I wanna fill the creation with my new heavens and new earth with all the best. No, I'm sorry, he picked you and me. He picked the broken. He picked the weary. He, broke the, he, he picked the sinful. And he said, I will come and I will give you a gift that you cannot even begin to understand. And so here's what's gonna happen. Throughout, you know, as we're busy, right? We're busy in, in, in the new heavens and the new earth doing all kinds of things, exploring things for eternity. Wrap your head around that for a minute. Doing all these things. What are we going to be talking about as we're doing these things, as we're exploring and creating and experiencing these things? We're going to be saying, isn't this amazing? And I so don't deserve to be here. It's all by his grace. For eternity, the song of praise in our lips will be, I don't deserve this. He gets the grace. The lamb who was slain, who has begun to reign, he gets the grace because even me, a broken sinner, has been brought into this gift of eternity, perfected, physical, with purpose. I want to dream big. And I want to embrace those dreams. I want you to dream big. I want you to embrace those dreams because the mind of a Christian is meant to be full, overflowing with dreams and visions from God. And Easter, if we will embrace it, Easter makes us dream again. Easter shows us the promise of our own resurrection, a physical, perfected, purpose-filled eternity. <laughs> We're going to talk more about this next week, but I'll tell you, I don't know all the ways that this church is going to reach Plano and North Dallas and Texas and the United States and North America and the world for the gospel. I don't know how we're going to do that, but you know who does? The people sitting in the pews right now, into whose minds and hearts God is pouring vision and dream now, because that's what he does to his children. And as we live into those dreams, as you live into those dreams and visions, as you and I wildly embrace those dreams and visions, let's watch the world get changed. Next week, we're going to look at more at how the resurrection will help us to live into our dreams right now. But for now, let me just end by saying that a major obstacle to wildly embracing the dreams that God gives us is the sacrifice that's involved. Something must always be set aside in order to say yes to the dream from God. God will call you to something. He will give you a dream, but other things must be put aside. And to say yes to the dream is to say no to other things, but the resurrection works with that. See, let me show you in my own life. A little over 20 years ago, I began to have a dream from God about preaching. I had no idea where it was coming from. I'm like, really, Lord? This, this, this dream of, of opening up the scriptures, spending my life opening God's word before people in such a way that lives could be changed. This dream about preaching. But here's where the problem was. I already was living into an already very successful music career. I was already doing very, very well. And as I embraced that dream and I went to seminary, Monica would watch me struggle with that dream 
On occasion, she'd find me melancholy in front of the piano, and I would be singing Les Mis or something, thinking no one else was home, and I'd be bawling my eyes out, and I was, I was, I was agonizing over what I'd given up. And every time I'd hear a performer sing, I, I couldn't even listen to it. I'd say, I can't even be in the room because I'm struggling with what I had to give up for this dream until something changed. Something changed one day when I began reading Revelation 21. I started trying to unpack what exactly it was saying about the new heaven and the new earth, a physical, perfected, purpose-filled creation that goes on forever. And my heart shifted that day. And in that moment, I was able to finally fully give in to that dream wildly embrace it and put the rest behind without any fear, without any regret. And Monica could see it. Suddenly we could go to theater again. We could you know, listen to musicians. I could listen to, to, to singers and rejoice in it, not feel, what have I given up? A person finally asked me one day when they heard me sing one day, they said, wow, you could sing. And I said, well, you know, I used to. And they said, what a waste to give that up. And I said, no. I said, because I've already got my speech prepared for heaven. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I fully intend at the resurrection to say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you're the Lord. I'm not exactly sure how all this works, but let me just say, Lord, I poured out everything for the vision you gave me. Now, Here's my desire. For the first thousand years, just let me sing with the angels. Do you see what Easter does? Do you see what Easter enables with our dreams? We have a physical, perfected, and purpose-filled eternity. Will you dream? Will you dream again? And will you wildly, by the grace of God, throw yourselves into those dreams from God? For the sake of the world, God will get the glory. God will make it happen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.